Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. I'm Bharati Jagdish. Now, here are some financial concerns that you might share as well. According to UOB's ASEAN Consumer Sentiment Study, the top financial concern for Singaporeans in general was rising inflation and the impending GST hike, with 74% indicating that this was a worry. That's a huge number, isn't it? And the bank survey also found that rising household expenses, a decline in wealth and savings, and long-term financial Financial commitments were leading considerations for Singaporeans as well. To talk us through all of this, Dean Tong joins us. He's head of Group Human Resources at United Overseas Bank. Hi, Dean. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So finance-related worries in Singapore far outpacing the rest of the region. What do you think has contributed to all of this relative to the rest of the region, of course? Well, first of all, Singapore is an externally dependent economy. So any shock that we're seeing around the world, we will feel it firsthand. Secondly, in Singapore, there are certain factors that are present that are not there in other ASEAN countries. For example, the impending GST hike, the rising cost of the COE, and housing prices are still increasing. And that's not the, the trend that we are seeing in other ASEAN markets at this moment. And all these are contributing to sort of a significant increase in prices, not to mention some of the essential items such as electricity, water, gasoline, all these are also going up. So none of us are immune from this uh, factor. And hence, you know, these are so front and centre for many people. Mm. Well, since you're from HR, we will talk about work-related anxiety in just a moment. But on the cost of living, of course, in Singapore, there are government assistance schemes and support schemes as well. But how else can all of this be mitigated, the worries over the rising cost of living? Well, if there's any consolation, right, our strong Singapore dollars will sort of contain some of the increases, especially on imported goods, and the robust uh, job market sort of further provides a bit of a cushion for the impending slowdown and also the current inflation that we're experiencing. Now, if I have any advice that I can leave to the listener, I would say, first of all, hold on to your job. This is against the backdrop of the great resignation that we are seeing in the industry, and this is still happening. Second, prioritize your spending. It is important to know that it's not how much you earn, but rather how much you spend. And last but not least, if you have really have to change your lifestyle, you know, instead of driving to work, for example, you might want to take the public transportation. It's also better for the environment. And some of these small changes can really help to go a long way. Yeah, I know of people who have already made some of these changes, and they do say that they have fewer finance-related worries. But, you know, it's sort of just hanging there, looming in the background. It's something you just have to deal with. But making changes would certainly help. And speaking of hanging on to your job, apparently work-related anxiety has also increased across the region and it's Singaporeans' second-highest worry after financials. Yet the level of concern in Singapore now appears to be less acute than in the rest of Southeast Asia. Why is that? Well, if you look at the job market that we have here, it is really very robust. And I've been following the demand and supply situation, participate in the industry meetings. You'll find that many industries, like the one in financial services, for example, we have a very significant number of vacancies that we're still trying to fill. And that's all plays out in other industries as well. That's because you know, we have many companies that have actually moved to Singapore to actually set up their operations. So demand has certainly increased since the reopening. And I think for that reason, many people probably feel sort of less anxious about work-related worry for now. Mm. But here's the thing. 
The average respondent regionally is most concerned about the ability to find a job. And even though as Singapore and economies around the world recover from the pandemic, shouldn't we also be concerned? Because the skill level required to find a new job or to hang on to a job is different now. And there is an intense demand for global talent too. So how should employees and workers in general be approaching this? I think you're absolutely right. In the short term, I think people are moving and the existing skill set is still sufficient for them to move around. But in the longer term, they have to think about upskilling and reskilling themselves to stay relevant. Now, when it comes to the global talent, Singapore, after all, is a talent hub, right? So this is something that we will need to be dependent upon. And ASEAN will be a net beneficiary of the current macroeconomic as well as the political situation out there. So based on what we have seen, this will really increase more opportunity for this part of the world. As a result of that, I think key is to increase your skill set right now. And in the future, when this opportunity were to transpire, this is the chance for our locals to actually step up to take on some of the job. The key to all this is from a regulatory perspective is balance, right? So while we want to make sure that the opportunities are reserved for our locals, in order to actually continue to grow, we will need to rely on global talents and continue to attract them to this part of the world. Mm, And Singaporeans also perhaps need to broaden their horizons. Companies overseas would be willing to hire a Singaporean with the right skills, right? Absolutely. In fact, I mean, if all the things being equal, right, first preference is always to hire a local Singaporean because they understand the culture, you know, there's no uncertainty of them potentially moving back to their home countries. So all else being equal, the opportunity will always be for Singaporean first. Speaking today with Dean Tong, he is head of Group Human Resources at United Overseas Bank. Now, Dean, I was just talking to another HR expert and they were telling me that job stability is always a concern for most Singaporeans. But these days, they're not really looking to hang on to a specific job in a specific company. Instead, they're looking to upskill and reskill because they feel that those are the things that will actually enable them to have job stability. And the job could just mean it could be a job in another company as well. So it increases their ability to be mobile and hence gives them job security. What's your perspective on this? And what can companies do at this stage to contribute to that development and to give them opportunities to be able to achieve what they want? My personal view is that I think, first of all, moving itself is not the solution, right? And if the organization that you're in is offering you the opportunity to reskill and upskill, then that is actually the opportunity that you need to take. Because uh, moving to another job, most companies will hire you for your existing skills, not hire you to reskill you. Right. So the way to think about it is that if you have been given the opportunity, and these days there are many opportunities for reskilling within your existing job. At UOB, we have a program called Better You, where we focus on the five core skills, you know, and we touch on every employee. So after they have completed the course, you know, they can then deep dive into one of many areas of their preference. So take those opportunities within the existing organization and try to reskill first before you evaluate your option, whether to continue to stay within the existing organization of of the move on. That would be my advice. Especially in this environment, don't move too hastily. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if the company is offering you programs and wants to contribute to your development, that's great. Because I do know of a lot of companies that also offer a lot of lateral growth opportunities to their employees, just to expose them and to help them grow personal and professional growth. That's what we're talking about here. But there are many companies who don't even do this 
And I know you said that, you know, companies will hire you for your existing skills. They won't hire you to reskill you. But shouldn't they be hiring on, say, attitude and then choosing to train you and to ensure that you excel within the organization? Shouldn't companies change their mindsets when it comes to hiring? The reality in the market today is that there is such a shortage of talent. In fact, in many companies, the number one issues that they're facing today is an overworked environment. But because of the attrition and the existing people who are left behind, they have to take on the work that have been left over by the people who have left. So when you bring in someone, the primary objective is to really try to fill this job as quickly as possible so that you, know, you can provide a more balanced work life for the existing people. And hence, you know, it's a bit more difficult to ask them to think about this. But I think it is something that all organizations need to think about in the longer term. But short term, there will be these challenges that many are facing today. Right. I guess that is the reality, even though in an ideal world, <laughs> companies should invest in their employees, right? I'm sure as a human resources expert, you would agree. I, would. I think if you will take a much longer term view to this, uh, you cannot afford not to reskill your workers. Now, something else that came up in this report was that almost half of Singaporeans have returned to the office full-time to work, even though 80% of them prefer some form of flexible work arrangement. Why this disparity? Why are companies so insistent on forcing workers back into the office still? You find that many employers still prefer for employees to return to the office if they have a choice, right? After the government relaxed, the work arrangement and at one stage everyone has to work from home, you find that everyone will maxing out the numbers of people that they can actually bring back. There are some legitimate reasons for that. You know, some work must be done face-to-face. During the pandemic itself, you know, they are the frontline workers that need to continue to go back to work no matter how severe the situation was. Right? And also, as I was mentioning before, because of the attrition situation that many companies are facing with, they have no choice but to bring people back to the office because every pair of hands helps to actually get the work done. However, I think it's very important that we do not go back to the old ways of working. We have tested this flexible work arrangement during the pandemic and it has worked well for us. It has provided us with, in fact, productivity gain and also greater engagement. And I think if we are taking a short-term view, over the long term, what we will find is that it will result in greater attrition for these companies. The thing is, leaders need to be trained to manage remotely. I think a lot of them don't know how to manage remote workers. And that's why they say, just come back to the office so much easier. I'm more used to managing my workers face to face. To what extent do you think perhaps leaders need to be trained here? They need the retraining more than anyone else. Absolutely. One thing is about retraining. The other one is about the mindset as well. One of the realities that, you know, if everyone's working from home, it's actually a lot easier than when you have half of the people working from home and half working in the office. With the hybrid environment, you know, some people who are working from home might feel left out. You know, if there's a sort of a discussion and people are writing on the board and there's a brainstorming. So in order to support this over a longer period of time, we have to make sure that the infrastructure also being set up to facilitate hybrid working in all meetings. And therefore, a company has to invest in order to make this work. In terms of people-to-people dynamic here, speaking from an HR perspective, what exactly do leaders need to be equipped with in order to become more comfortable with managing a hybrid workforce or a completely remote workforce? Well, first of all, I think leaders need to learn to manage by output and not input. Yeah, uh, so, yeah. Well, in the past, you know, the trick is, you know, you just have to 
come to the office five minutes before your boss and leave five minutes after the boss. Mm-hmm. And then you actually manage the boss expectation very well. But with this hybrid working, there's no on and off. So it's a little bit harder to actually manage that. Now, as a supervisor, you know, you have to learn to start to evaluate the performance of the employees based on the output. And wherever they do it, when they do it, you know, you have to leave it up to them. And I think that is one level of maturity that we have to actually get to. The trick is that not all jobs today are so tangible for you to actually be measuring that, right? And this is something that we have to make it more concrete so that supervisors will feel more comfortable. Now, second one is just mindfulness that people who are actually working from home, there's also a time on and time off, and we have to respect that as well, because otherwise you will actually put on even more pressure for those people who are actually working from home. And eventually all might just want to come back so that they can actually switch off after office work. So those are some of the level of maturity. And as I mentioned before, one is mindset, but the other one is actual infrastructure that has to be invested. Mm. I understand that Gen Z respondents actually said that they are in favour of things such as sabbatical leave and an after-hours policy for work communication as well. What can you tell us about that? How should companies be reacting to such insights? (laughs) Well, I think these are good policies, especially for people who have worked for a long time to take a break from work. In fact, when they come back refreshed, they usually can bring more creative ideas to the table. Now, for those people who have just started working, I would say, you know, this is a, maybe a little bit too much of a luxury to ask for, especially, you know, with a flexible work arrangement. But the time off once you leave the office, I think that is a discipline that can be adopted. And I think it should be adopted. At UB, we are also promoting what we call the balanced way of working. And that's precisely addressing many of these things, such as, you know, do not set meetings during lunchtime, do not set it after office hour. Because, you know, typically these slots are the slots that have not been taken. And if you have not planned carefully, these are the slots that you'll take up, you know, for a last minute meeting, right? So we are telling spend more time in your planning, no, don't go into the temptation of grabbing someone's lunchtime you know, to organize meetings. <laughs> I know it's highly tempting, but please control yourselves. Thank you very much, Dean. Dean Tong is Head of Group Human Resources at United Overseas Bank. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.